Door 25 Haunting Holidays It has been claimed that ghosts are not permitted to walk at Christmas, but this is clearly false, as we have heard. So let us celebrate Christmas Day with a tale of a spectral clown and a haunted painting. On Christmas Day 1890, a disturbing story appeared on the front page of a Victorian newspaper, The Daily Colonist, which told us, just as the clock was striking midnight, ushering in the joyous Christmas day, a misdeed as dark, cowardly and mysterious as ever disfigured the history of this province was perpetuated. A young man named David Fee, who was only 21 years old, had gone out to a costume party. Fee had dressed up in a white clown costume. After the revelries had finished, Mr. Fee then walked to meet his parents for the evening mass. But as Fee arrived at the corner where the cathedral lay, a man leapt from the shadows and aimed a double-barrel gun at him. The man simply said, You challenged me! Before Fee could answer, the man fired, killing Fee on the spot. Apparently, it was a tragic and brutal case of mistaken identity. But ever since that night, especially on Christmas Eve, it is said you can see a ghostly clown, the shade of David Fee, slowly walking the streets around the cathedral. Now, Christmas Day is a time for family and friends to gather together, and houses, rich and poor, large and small, are often full of guests come for the festive season. And of course, at such gatherings, a ghost story or two may well emerge. Such is the case with the strange story of a haunted room in a grand old house near Manchester. The story was told to famed ghost hunter Elliot O'Donnell, some years prior to the Great War, by a Miss Melly, who actually experienced the phenomenon. He recounted Miss Melly's festive brush with fear thus, in his 1931 book, Rooms of Mystery. She was invited to spend Christmas in an old country house to the north of Manchester with some people who, for the sake of convenience, I will call Baron, Colonel and Mrs. Baron. She was allotted a room in the front of the house, immediately overlooking the drive. It was a large and rather gloomy room, furnished after the ponderous fashion of the mid-Victorian era, but the one that attracted her attention most was that of a handsome young man, clad in the costume of the early Georgian era. There was something about his boyish face and laughing eyes that pleased her very much, and she stood for quite a while looking at it. Two nights later, when she was alone in her room, dressing for dinner, she heard a curious banging, rattling sound. When she turned around, she saw to her amazement that the picture that had interested her so much, the portrait of the young man with the laughing eyes, was swinging backwards and forwards on the wall, as if someone were shaking it very violently. But the moment she approached it, she got another shock. The portrait became suddenly still, but the picture itself had undergone a horrible transformation. The young man now had no head. Where the head should have been, there was nothing. The neck terminating in a bloody stump, which was so realistic that Miss Melly fainted. When she recovered, her maid was standing over her with a glass of water. 
Wondering if she could have possibly have been dreaming, and thinking that the maid would deem her mad if she told her what had just happened, she attributed her faint to the heat of the room, and continued dressing, and in due course went down to dinner. During dessert, when the servants were out of the room, she said to her hostess, I witnessed a rather remarkable phenomenon just now in my bedroom. I think it must have been due to vibration. What was that? Mrs. Barron said, turning slightly pale. Why? Miss Melly went on. The portrait of that handsome youth in the Georgian costume began to sway about, as if in a hurricane, or at least if someone was shaking it vigorously. Moreover... But here, the lady sitting next to her, a relative of the Bartons, gave her a nudge, and Miss Melly, realising that she had probably made a faux pas, said no more. Miss Barron was now deadly pale, and a painful silence ensued. But... Thanks to the tact and cleverness of the aforementioned relative of the Bartons, who inquired of the Colonel what programme he had in store for them all on the morrow, Christmas Day, the tongues of the guests were loosened, and in a few moments, conversation resumed. Some minutes later, in the drawing room, the lady who had nudged Miss Melly drew her aside and said to her, "'Whatever induced you to allude to that picture? I suppose you don't know the tradition.' Listen, I'll tell you it as briefly as possible. That young man in the portrait was a Jacobite ancestor of Colonel Barron, and he was heir to this property at the time of the 1715 rebellion. The second brother, who coveted the estate, hatched a diabolical plot. He hired two men to waylay and murder the heir when he was on his way to join the old pretender's army and so his death would naturally be attributed to an encounter with enemy troops. Everything turned out as the second brother had hoped, up to a certain point. The assassins waylaid the heir, cut off his head, and buried his remains by the roadside. After they had received their payment, however, by chance one of the sisters of the brothers overheard the assassins say that they had not been paid enough. On telling her father what she had overheard, the father had the two men seized, and he himself threatened them with instant death if they did not confess. The two men then did confess, and by doing so, placed the parents in a terrible dilemma. To give up the killers to justice would mean revealing their second son's guilt, while to hush the matter up meant a heavy bribe which they could not afford to pay. Choosing the latter, they paid the two rogues an exorbitant sum of money, and subsequently sent the son who had brought all this trouble upon them away to study abroad, where, within a few months of his arrival, he was killed in a drunken brawl. Immediately before his death, however, the portrait of the brother he had murdered, which was hanging on the wall of the room he had occupied during his lifetime, was seen to swing backwards and forwards, whilst the head on it temporarily disappeared, leaving the neck a mere stump, jagged and bleeding. These ghastly phenomena have been repeated ever since, always before the death of a member of the Baron family. And it is for this reason that your reference to that picture just now caused such a sensation. I only hope that the omen in this instance will prove futile, and that no death will ensue. Miss Melly was, of course, greatly perturbed on hearing what her experience augured. But she was very shocked indeed when, a few days after her visit to the Bartons, she was told they had just received the news of the death of their eldest son 
in a boating accident. And so then, dear friends, that sinister tale brings our Ghosts of Christmas Advent calendar to a close. And, believe it or not, we have only detailed but a few of the spooks and phantoms that are said to walk at Yuletide, so do keep an eye out, for there may be a Christmas spectre that walks near you. So then, from all of us here at the Great Library of Dreams, we wish you all a very Merry Christmas, and a prosperous new year. <laughs>